It's Tuesday, March 22nd of 2022. Spring has officially sprung and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. Well, I can lay claim to that worthy title. I'm not the only podcast doing, uh, Hoover fellow doing podcasts these days. If you don't believe me, go to our website, uh, which is hoover.org. Click on the tab that says publications. Go to the next tab that says podcast, and you can see everything that we are doing here. You can also sign up for our monthly pod blast, which delivers the best of our uh, podcast to your inbox once a month. Hoover podcast, just one aspect of ideas defining a free society. My guests today are David Brady and Doug Rivers. Dave Brady is a senior fellow emeritus here at the Hoover Institution, a longtime political scientist and lecturer at Stanford University and Stanford's Graduate School of Business. Doug Rivers is a Hoover Institution senior fellow and a Stanford University political scientist. He's also a pollster extraordinaire, chief scientist at UGov PLC, a global polling firm. We're going to talk about what public opinion has to say with regard to the war in Ukraine and President Biden's fortunes and a few other issues here and there. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. So I'd like to begin this by talking a bit about what's called the rally round the flag effect. And the fun thing about doing podcasts is one gets to do homework and find out exactly where these phrases come from. I discovered this is a term coined by a gentleman named John Mueller, who is an Ohio State political scientist. The term applies to an event with three qualities. A, it's international. B, it involves the U.S. and particularly the president directly. C, the event is, quote, specific, dramatic, and sharply focused. Mueller created five categories of rally around the flag of the, such rallies. One, sudden U.S. military invention, think the Korean War. Two, major diplomatic actions, think the Truman Doctrine. C, dramatic technological developments, think Sputnik. D, Cold War summit meetings, think Kennedy and Khrushchev in Vienna, and E, major military developments such as Desert Storm, or in this case, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Gentlemen, a question for you. Does rally around the flag apply to what is going on with Ukraine and American popular opinion? No, either one of us can answer that clearly. No. Okay, why not? Doug? I'm not going to entirely agree with Dave. Uh, Rally around the flag... um, was a phenomena that you saw in a big way um, up through, uh, you know, the first Gulf War, 9-11, right. um, where presidents would, uh, their popularity would go to 90% or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has not happened. So I agree with um, Dave on that, that that's not uh, a description of what's happening here, but uh, Biden is getting a bump out of this. Uh, it's just much smaller than the kind of rally around the flag effects that uh, you saw uh, as little as 20 years ago. Okay, so simple question. Uh, because he is not bumped up to 90%, is that a function of the times in which we live? Is it a function of the fact that this is a war in which the United States is not directly fighting in? We're involved in terms of supplying weapons, but we're not actually fighting. Or is it a function of Joe Biden and his presidency? I would like um, to come back a little bit on Doug on that. Uh, go the, for it. The go. question was... Question, you like it when you fight. The question was, are we seeing a rally around the flag effect? And then he said, I'd like to disagree, but says, no, we're not. We we didn't see a rally. No, we're effect. seeing a small one. And right. it, the bump the bump is in the latest YouGov poll on uh, foreign affairs, and that he's back at about 41%. Uh, that's up six points in terms of handling Ukraine from what it was a month ago. What, which one, what's the last one you looked at? I just looked uh, at 312. It's the last one I have. So. I'm, I'm looking at our Yahoo survey, which is uh, last week. 
Okay, so if he's up six points, where's he up six points among Democrats, Republicans, or independents? And and the point I'm making is this, that in uh, the Bay of Pigs, where the United States was an abysmal failure, public opinion support for the president went up, rally around the flag, and it, it was up among people of the other party, and it was up among independents. And what happens now is it doesn't go up, be given polarization. It doesn't go up uh, amongst the members of the party that is not in the presidency, and it didn't go, uh, and it didn't go up that much among independents. So I haven't seen the poll he's talking about. So where's the bump? Independence? Um, it, it looked like it was sort of across the board, uh, more independents and Democrats than Republicans, slightly. But it, it's not big, and I, you know I think most people are saying that. In terms of overall presidential popularity, Biden is getting no more than a couple points, but he's improved in his ratings on handling Ukraine, or at least in the first two weeks. Um, I think there are kind of two hypotheses about uh, what could be going on here. Uh, one is due to our uh, former colleague, um, Dick Brody, who wrote a book on presidential popularity um, in international crises. And uh, Brody's uh, explanation was when elites agree, then you see a rally around the flag effect. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't see a rally around the flag when they disagree. So uh, there are exceptions of international crises like Nixon and Cambodia, and some situations like that where you didn't see it. Um, I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, Republicans, at least at the outset of uh, the Ukrainian war uh, have were mildly supportive of uh, Biden. Uh, you know, when we were in Washington at the um, Hoover Board of Overseers meetings, uh, you know, several Republican senators and uh, Republican foreign policy advisors, um, you know, said that uh, the Biden administration at that point had done a pretty good job of handling it. Um, and you saw that somewhat in Congress. I think that's changing rapidly. Um, that now you're getting a lot of Republicans in Congress say that, um, you know, that Biden is not doing a good job handling it. Um, the public at large, though, uh, never, or at least Republicans never warmed up to this. And I think that's partly polarization. And it's partly uh, the legacy of the Trump party that about a quarter of Republicans are actually relatively supportive of Russia. Uh, Pretty small number actually have positive views of Putin, but it's over 10 percent um, and uh, half of Republicans are not sure whether um, either think that we shouldn't take the Ukrainian side or aren't sure whose side we should take. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, Doug, before you came on, Dave and I were going through some uh, data that you two have collected on uh, Biden and Ukraine, and there seems to be one constant throughout the data. He's just getting popped by independence, just issue after issue. He does not get the benefit of doubt from independence. Although Ukraine is not one of those, um, yeah. but on the economy, inflation, COVID, uh, all those things, uh, Biden's numbers among independents are at uh, very low levels, which um, Democrats need to uh, have a fighting chance in the midterm elections this year. Yeah. So does this line up similar to 2018 in terms of uh, President hemorrhaging independence? I, yeah, I, I think it is. I think for them, the, for independence, the major issues are 
the economy, inflation, those sorts of things. Uh, they're sympathetic uh, towards the Ukrainians. They're not favorable towards uh, Putin. So, but I think the what determines uh, how they're going to vote is going to be the economy and inflation. That's going to mm -hmm. be the dominant issue. Right. And here the president has a problem. Yes. I mean, uh, let me get you a number on this. In terms of like uh, the, handling the economy, 28% uh, of independents approve of Biden's handling of the economy and 66% disapprove. Right. Those numbers need for, um, it, it is the case that independents normally skew a little more Republican uh, than Democratic. Right. But it should be nearly even on something like that uh, if Democrats are going to have a good showing in the election. Um, being underwater by that amount uh, means that Democrats will, uh, well, they won't get a plurality of the votes. Doug, what was that number you, you gave again? What was the question? Uh, it was on handling of the economy. Do you approve or disapprove of that? Yeah, I, I got for the uh, YouGov last one, three, uh, 12 I had was, uh, I know a new one's coming out. I had 38% uh, approve and 50% uh, disapprove among registered voters. It's uh, a little bit different. Uh, right. Registered voters, it's, uh, about, it's actually about the same. He's down. Yeah. Uh, in this survey, which I'm talking about, which is a few days later, uh, Biden's a, a, approval among independents was 32%, disapprove was 61 But it was particularly bad on uh, the economy. Yeah, I, it's the same in this one. The numbers are a little different. It's the same. Um, on taxes, twenty-eight percent approve, sixty-five percent disapprove on the economy. Yeah, it, it, they're down. To, it, they're in this uh, one I'm looking at. They're down twenty. It, he's down twenty points on on taxes and government and the economy. And that uh, it strikes me as that's what the Democrats. Uh, if I if I was a Democratic uh, pollster or strategist, uh, that's what I'd be telling them. You better be worrying about inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no magic way to make the economy better. Right. Um, so the best that an incumbent president can do is to make the right noises and seem concerned about it. Um, and so far, I'd say they've been rather ineffective at delivering that uh, message. Um, the problem with a foreign policy bump and you know, I mean, Biden has gotten a little bump. At least Ukraine has taken inflation off the front pages, given someone else to blame for it. Uh, those things wear off. Uh, you know, six months from now, um, it's going to uh, interest in Ukraine is going to wane uh, in all likelihood. Yeah, that's a great point, because if you there's a very tempting analogy to go back to 1962 and the Cuban Missile Crisis. But what do we know about 1962? That was October. That was just shortly before the November election. Uh, Democrats actually ended up gaining four Senate seats in that election. They lost four House seats. Uh, that was, by the way, the last midterm election cycle in which a sitting Democratic president experienced net losses for his party in the House while experiencing net gains in the Senate. It's a little quirk of history. But again, that was October, not March. We still have how many more months until November? Also, gentlemen, the stakes a little higher back in October of 1962. You're looking at nuclear Armageddon, despite the loose talk about World War III right now. Uh, Americans are not looking square in the eye, perhaps being wiped out tomorrow. I don't think that's a popular thing to run on. 
No, no. But the point is, the stakes might have been a little higher back in 1960. I, I, yeah. I was a little boy in Washington, D.C., and our family, my father worked in the government at the time, and he sent us packing out of Washington because the expectation was something bad could happen very soon. But we're not quite there in terms of an international crisis, are we? Yeah, I think of this is more like uh, Iran in 1979 when the uh, hostages were taken. Mm -hmm. uh, the initial response was outraged by Americans. It was on the top of the news every hour. Um, and uh, by the fall, you know, Carter lost uh, that election uh, pretty badly. It was enough to get him through the Democratic primaries. Um, the other thing I would say is that Biden's position is relatively popular. That is, support the Ukrainians. Um, but don't get any American troops on the ground. That's where most Americans are at the moment. Yeah, it's only yeah, I was, I was looking at a CBS News uh, YouGov poll that you did, Doug, and it showed that uh, uh, what it showed in terms of a no-fly zone, for example, 59% of the people in that poll say a no-fly zone, good idea, put one over Ukraine. But then when asked if it's viewed as an act of war, do you support the no-fly zone? It falls to 38%. In the latest one I looked at, uh, only 23% of both parties thought it was a good idea to get in any uh, war where you any way where you shoot down Russian planes. And, and I do think, getting away from the polls for a moment, that if you actually look at how Russians think of tactical nuclear weapons, they do not think of them in the same way that the United States military does. For the United States military, that's a huge ex escalation. But that is not the case uh, with, with the Russians. And I think people are seriously and rightfully worried that they might use a tactical nuclear weapon to mm -hmm. clear out an area. Now, others have argued that uh, chemical weapons do the same thing. But the question is, we're dealing with Putin, who's not dueling, doing very well on the ground. And would he use them? So I, I think I'm very happy that public opinion is here and that the Biden administration is doing what it's doing, because I don't think it's unreasonable to believe that we're a lot closer to Putin using tactical nuclear weapons than we were a week ago. I'll let Dave handle the defense and foreign policy. Um, <laughs> but one thing on the politics is uh, only 5% of the public thinks Biden is being too tough on Ukraine. Um, interestingly, among Republicans, um, more of them think Biden should be tougher than he is, uh, than he is now. So, but they I, don't have an idea of what being tougher would be. They don't want him. They don't want. No, to. I don't. You know, I, again, I'll count on you to tell us how the niceties of international diplomacy and, uh, nuclear strategy. Um, the, the public is, you know, tends to be supportive of, at least initially in conflicts of taking tough positions. Um, right. Do you have, seems to me on the question of uh, if you want to ask Republicans what getting tougher would mean, I think that's a perfectly normal thing to say. Uh, if Biden is the president, I, if Trump were the president, I think uh, more Democrats would say we should get tougher. I think the tough, the hard question there is what, what is, what does tougher mean? And that's a much more difficult right. question if you're actually making decisions. Well, but we have seen a reversal of the parties. The Democrats are actually uh, more supportive of um, intervention when you ask about different types of intervention, uh, whether they be economic sanctions, yes. military aid. Uh, they're about equal with Republicans on sending, or actually a little more supportive of sending troops. Um, but not no majority, the, no majority for that. 
No, no, there's uh, the majority is clearly opposed to uh, sending troops or direct military involvement. You know, one thing that uh, Ukraine has done, gentlemen, it's not COVID off the front pages. You dig deeper into the front section of a newspaper to the extent you still read a newspaper anymore, and you find out that China is having all kinds of problems right now with another COVID wave. Uh, Anthony Fauci emerged uh, last week for the first time in about a month, it seemed. Uh, he just, he'd gone dark during the invasion. Uh, this is my way of giving you guys ample time to dig up your poll numbers on COVID here, because I'm getting to a question. Um, I do a show called Goodfellows. We did audience questions for um, an episode two weeks Weeks ago, we got about 125 questions, none on COVID. Everything was on Ukraine and foreign policy at the time, but nothing on COVID. Here's the question, gentlemen. Has COVID kind of recessed in the public's mind right now? And as you look at the president's various challenges, does he have a real problem if COVID comes roaring back later this year? Well, yeah, yeah, he would. I mean, the, the fact is that when Biden came in, that what cost Trump the presidency, in, in my view, was uh, his handling of the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. And so when Biden came in, he promised to handle it better. So it has gone away. And you now get 50% of Democrats say that the worst part of uh, COVID has passed us. But uh, over, two th over three quarters of Republicans say that. But if it comes back, i.e. the new wave, uh, the new strain in Europe comes back, that, that will be a problem. As by the way, that overtime aspect is also true of, of the Ukraine, because if the Ukraine were to drag out over time and the sanctions continue to have an effect on inflation, I think that also hurts Democrats. Doug, did he just say the Ukraine? <laughs> Ukraine, the country. <laughs> well, it's a little hard to say because does that include Crimea and uh, Donbass or does it not? I think that's a fluid situation. Yeah, <laughs> that is good. But no, I mentioned COVID because uh, you guys have polling data would suggest that a large majority of Americans think that the worst is behind us, that that we're essentially past this thing. And so I would say for the president, this is kind of a tricky messaging issue because you you can't go out there. He learned a bad lesson last year when they had the 4th of July celebration and then boom, another another wave came in, rather embarrassing for them. Uh, it'd be very tempting for him to lift mass mandates and just go back to normal. But on the other hand, there is another strain out there. Fauci the other day said that uh, it will be viral, it won't be as deadly, but it will still be an issue. So once again, this president's kind of caught twixt and tween on an issue. Yeah. So Ukraine is a relatively good issue for Biden because uh, Republicans have a substantial minority that have a really unpopular position and the majority is with Biden on that. Mm -hmm. um, COVID is not such a wonderful issue. Yeah. That is, there's no, nobody in favor of COVID and incumbents will get blamed for what happens under it. Um, the situation in the country is um, we're, relative, we're split again. Um, Everyone wants this to be over. Most uh, majority of both parties think the worst is behind us. Um, but uh, Democrats are much more conservative in the sense of not wanting to open up freely than Republicans who, um, you know, oppose mass, uh, oppose uh, vaccination mandates. Nearly half are unvaccinated. Um, and, uh so, you know, what's likely to happen if there's another round, um, you know, a third wave uh, is that 
Democrats will be pushing for mass mandates, which are going to be highly unpopular among Republicans right. um, and uh, a fair fraction of independents. Uh, and no one's going to be happy about the situation. So I, I think there's very significant downside of another wave um, pushing Biden's popularity further negative. You know? And the, the, the numbers are kind of interesting uh, because a majority of Americans, uh, plurality of Americans, think that we haven't won the war yet, won the war yet, but they think it's time to get back to a normal life. But again, it's much higher for uh, Republicans. But the interesting thing is, uh, and you ask the question, are there parts of life before the pandemic that you're not yet ready to return to? Mm-hmm. And Democrats, it's 52 percent. Yes. For Republicans, it's only 22. And, and so that's a that's a 30 point gap. And, uh, and independents, needless to say, fall in between with 38 percent saying, but a majority of Democrats are not yet uh, not yet returning to uh, full life in terms of masking. So Doug's absolutely right. And when that happens, there's going to be pressure in the Biden administration. If they fall back on their normal life, uh, it will hurt them. Yeah. If, if, if they try anything approaching lockdowns, it will be tremendously unpopular among Republicans and it's not going to be like Democrats are celebrating the situation. But if they try to ignore it, uh, the Democratic base is not very happy with that. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you, as fellow Californians, do you already have your escape plan in effect for the lockdown coming this fall? Or I'm just hoping it won't happen. Well, I, I believe with probably the uh, drought and the number of forest fires we're likely to have, we'll probably be all be in home, uh, all be at home anyway with the uh, HVAC uh, filters on. So it might not be a problem. Doug, let's uh, talk a minute about the Supreme Court. Uh, today is day two of uh, Kajanji Brown Jackson's uh, confirmation hearing. She's expected to be confirmed. Uh, it's been a very curious um, set of circumstances I found. First of all, Biden uh, chose her the day after uh, Russia invaded Ukraine on a they did it on a Friday, thus guaranteeing very little bump over the weekend. Um, the confirmation hearing comes 24 days after he chose her. Usually these things drag out a couple months, which gets interest groups and much more media coverage. But this just has been buried by Ukraine. She is historic in that she is a, will be the first African-American uh, woman to serve on the Supreme Court. But it doesn't seem to be much of a needle mover, does it? No, I, I don't think people are paying a lot of attention Uh you know, Ukraine has sucked the oxygen out of the room on this. Um, and while some Republicans, you know, appear to be uh, opposing her, uh, I don't, it, it's not going to go anywhere. The Democrats have the votes and um, it's going to get wrapped up in a few weeks. Some, some Republican senators will use this to kind of boost up their Trump vote. I think Josh Hawley's uh, focusing on, issues of child pornography, et cetera. So there'll be some, uh, some, some movement like that of people trying to position themselves uh, for a race in 2024. But I don't, I agree with Doug. It's not gonna, it's not. Gonna so far, happen. none of the objections have gotten any traction. Um, I just don't think it's going any place. And I think she will get half a dozen Republican votes, maybe more. Still waiting for someone to say, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she'll get, uh, I, I, would, uh, I don't think she'll get that many, but she will get some Republican votes. 
Okay, let's let's turn to the fall election for a minute um, in the economy. Is this as simple as what James Carville said 30 years ago, quote, the economy is stupid? Well, 30 years ago, the economy was much more a bipartisan issue that when uh, the economy was good, both Democrats and Republicans thought it was good. And when it was bad, uh, both Democrats and Republicans thought it bad. Um, that's not the world we live in today. Uh, most Democrats think the economy is pretty good, and most Republicans think it's awful. Um, the, uh, the, the fact that Biden is underwater in this issue is Republicans are more uh, united in their belief that the economy is terrible than Democrats are in their belief that it's uh, going well. Uh, but uh, I don't I don't think it's any longer the economy stupid. I think it's it's largely partisanship. I, I agree with Doug. We we had a recent paper. So the 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 idea before was that what, what happened was uh, it's called retrospective voting and Democrats and Republicans and independents looked at the economy. And if the economy was actually doing better, you could measure that any number of ways. Then the fact is the incumbent president and the incumbent president's party benefited. That uh, started in the Bush administration to start to fall down. But today, uh, the numbers are Democrats think the economy is uh, great. Republicans think it's not so great. Independents uh, are more likely to evaluate the economy uh, more objectively than either Democrats or Republicans. So it might have a little effect in that way. But it, it's not it doesn't have the predictive effect that it had before. Yeah, the net effect is negative at the moment because inflation has roared to, you know, the highest levels in the last 50 years. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's it's not a winning issue for Democrats. And Doug, I, this question for Doug, I, I don't, in those studies on retrospective voting, I don't think inflation... It wasn't there. I mean, and even in the 70s, it didn't seem to have much of an effect, right? So I don't, I, I just don't know, even though I just finished co-authored a paper on that, I don't know the effect of inflation. Uh, yeah, so the political science literature, so this is from years ago, and both Dave and I will date ourselves since I wrote yeah. my PhD thesis on this, um, was ambiguous in terms of the effect of inflation. Uh, recessions and unemployment had clear effects and inflation was less clear. Um, and you know what you had in the 70s was a stagflation, which is low growth and inflation at the same time. At the moment, we are seeing decent growth rates, falling unemployment rates, and rapidly accelerating inflation. So it's, a, it's almost like a... Um, natural experiment of uh, will people be really negative uh, about inflation in the presence of otherwise decent economic numbers. Now, I know you guys have done some polling on gasoline prices, and um, I've looked at it, and I was surprised that actually the Putin message, the White House has been saying blame Putin for rising gas prices, that actually does pretty well among Democrats, no surprise, but also <laughs> Democrats, uh, Republicans, and independents. So not a bad message for the time being. But when you poll inflation, Doug, is is there a culprit or do voters just turn to the incumbent party and lash out against them? So the first thing is, in, in terms of the most important issue, inflation has jumped to be the number one issue, right. and especially among Republicans, where 44% of Republicans say inflation is the most important issue. Among Democrats, 
uh, more say Russia and the Ukraine is the most important issue. Um, so this is a bit of inflation is bad and Republicans think it's important and Democrats um, maybe a little motivated reasoning don't think it's um, such a problem. Um, in terms of, um, you know, how the blame for it, uh, you know, again, there's so much motivated reasoning in terms of uh, how how people ascribe blame to things that, right. um, you know, among Democrats, it, it's easy for Biden to make the sale that uh, a lot of the, that this is due to Putin and the war in the Ukraine. Uh, whereas if you listen to Republicans on TV, they'll say, well, the inflation was before uh, uh, Putin in, invaded Ukraine. Um, so I, I think at this point, it's just too early to tell. Well, it sounds like, Dave, we're headed for a November, in which you're going to have a very heated debate over one question. Are you better off today than you were two years ago? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yes, that's correct. And because it's inflation with growth, that makes it a bit tougher question to answer, as Doug suggests. Uh, so when you, look, when you look to the 2022 elections, uh, you get some predictions are going to be a big year for the Republicans, like uh, like 94 or 2010. Uh, I, I don't actually see that uh, in large part because there aren't that many competitive seats in the House. You're down to maybe 40 competitive seats. So I, I don't see a big swing. I do think the Republicans will take a majority in the House. But it, it's uh, uh, I, I, if it's over, it would take a swing of uh, 10 to 12 points uh, to, to bring you up to over 40, 45 seats. And I, I just, I don't see that. Uh, maybe Doug sees it differently, but I, I don't see I, I think in this environment, it's really tough for one party to pick up that many seats. Um, the interesting one is the Senate. And I had been relatively positive about the Democrats' chances in the Senate, but... Um, with the numbers we're seeing at the moment, you know, just a few points swing, you know, three or four points in the Republican direction is enough to uh, take out, uh, you know, three or four Democratic incumbents and sweep all of the open seats. So, Doug, what, what states would you point to in terms of getting sucked down in the wake? Well, there's a seat in Georgia, a seat in Arizona, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, New Hampshire. Right. So the well, so Democratic health seats, right? Right. Um, you know, and there are places where Democrats could pick up. But if, you know, with the current situation, I don't, um, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Uh, Ohio, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. I, I so Ohio it, and Missouri are really tough for Democrats these days. And Florida is increasingly kind of tough. I, it's that's I, I don't disagree with anything Doug says. There are 21 Republican seats up. And uh, 14 by Democrats, but of those 21, 21 seats, I think 15 are really absolutely not not going to be contested. And there's three or four of the others that are gone. So you got Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and another seat, uh, probably maybe uh, another seat that the Democrats could take. However, in, in the other states, uh, the like Georgia, I think it does depend dramatically on who gets the nomination. I don't think Herschel Walker great running back 
I'm not clear that Herschel Walker is a great uh, Senate candidate, and he looks like he's doing pretty well so far. So, it, and in Pennsylvania, uh, and in Missouri, uh, it, it does matter which Republicans get the nomination. Right. That's a good point. I did a little uh, research on the House races. Uh, by the way, Doug mentioned the uh, Hoover uh, meeting we had in Washington. We uh, had a, a senior House Republican come visit with us, and literally the first words out of his mouth were, this is not going to be 2010. This is not going to be 1994 in terms of volume of seats, and here's why. Uh, you go back to uh, 1994, and uh, Republicans, uh, oh, go back to 2010, excuse me. Republicans had 179 seats at the time of that election going in. They picked up 63. Uh, right now, if you uh, count the uh, vacant seats or Republican seats in Minnesota, Arkansas, there are 212 Republican seats. So if you say take half of the 63 or half of the 54 that were picked up in 1994, you're oddly enough picking up, uh, you're ending up somewhere around 242, which is where the Republicans were after 2010. Uh, this is kind of Sisyphean politics, guys. <laughs> Sisyphus was, of course, the character in the Odyssey who what, he was condemned to Hades and he had to roll the boulder up the hill and it rolled back down. He'd roll it back up and down. Uh, we could be in a situation at the end of the 22 election where we're back to where we started 2011. And this kind of gets to a question, which I know I ask you guys a lot, but uh, we're going to do it one more time. The House keeps on flipping. This um, this could be the fifth time dating back to 1994, the fourth time dating back to 2006. Why can't voters make up their mind about who should be running the House of Representatives? <laughs> Most of the voters have made up their mind and keep voting the exact same way. Yes. Uh, the problem is the two parties are about equal. And so a switch of 20 seats, which historically is not big at all for a midterm, actually has a big impact, uh, both in terms of control and um, size of the majority. Well, that's 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 a very complicated question but i mean in 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 part it's because of the kind of strange equilibrium uh, you're in so in 2018 the house swings to the democrats by and large uh, a reaction against trump and i think the same thing's going to happen in 2022 it's kind of a reaction against the democrats and biden and the policies but then uh, so it takes fewer seats as doug said but the second thing is that when the parties get in uh, the Democrats push things too far left and the Republicans, in my view, push things too far right. And the result of that is those few set, that small set of swing voters getting smaller and smaller, by the way, that set of swing voters uh, moves the other way. So in 2018, we noticed suburban uh, Republicans, women had moved against Trump and so on. And uh, we're going to see the same thing in 2022 among some Democratic categories. And then we'll see what the Republicans do. And uh, but so the turnovers in the House are uh, they're more frequent, but they're not not surprising, given the state of American, the disequilibrium in American politics. So Dave's been making this argument that you get partisan overreach when they take control. Um, and he's absolutely right. Uh, they just don't seem to learn. Right. You know, so Biden got in and they immediately started talking about the New Deal and the transformative agenda. And so they overreached that way. And we've seen it on the Republican side, the opposite direction. Um, I think the other thing that's going on here, um, the switching of control has impacts on the um, willingness of people inside of Congress to cooperate with each other. Uh, this is an argument made by uh, Francis Lee. Um, and it's essentially that um, if you think you're going to gain control of the majority, 
there's no real reason for you to cooperate and try to work out compromises. Um, and, um, you know, so Democrats thought uh, they would have a big majority after the 2020 election. Maybe they thought they could increase it after 2022. That's not going to happen. And Republicans are sitting there saying, just wait till um, January of 2023 and we'll be in control here. And we don't need to um, uh, make any concessions to you. Mm-hmm. Would you guys apply the same idea of overreach to the presidency? And this ties into Joe Biden being stuck around 40%. And if I have the numbers right, and I look back, Doug, at uh, where he stood on February 23rd, the day before the Ukraine invasion, I think it was 40.8%. So he's just kind of stuck around that number right now. Uh, is he struggling due to overreach, uh, too much of a push to the left? Or do we circle something like Afghanistan and the debacle with the withdrawal there? I think what happened was he got elected to he got elected because he wasn't Donald Trump. Right. And then when he got in office, uh, he he uh, was like as though the Green New Deal had uh, come to life. And uh, I know part of it may have been he wanted to surpass Obama, but uh, he wasn't it wasn't a Franklin Delano Roosevelt 1932 victory. But the progressives in the Democratic Party played it like it was. Uh, things didn't work out. It looked like they fought internally among themselves. Afghanistan, it just has not worked out very well for them. And those things are coming home to roost as you look to the 2022 elections. I think the dynamic is that you don't want to start by disappointing your core party supporters. Um, And, you know, so Biden essentially came out with a set of some very ambitious bills um, and it was should have been pretty clear that they weren't going to be able to pass. Um, but it took a while for, uh, you know, the left wing of the Democratic Party to realize they just didn't have the votes and they weren't going to be able to force uh, Manchin and Cinema to toe the line. Um, I think it was less Biden himself, though. Uh, you know, the weakness of the Biden presidency has been poor messaging. Um, so. People aren't quite sure where Biden is, but they are, you know, it's pretty evident where Democrats in Congress are and they're further to the left. Yeah, on, on that Senate thing, by the way, it, it, and my way I have it, uh, it breaks down like this. I thought Democrats had a shot at um, taking Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, which uh, uh, all looked like reasonable places and holding. They're only up 14 seats and, and they could have held, hold Georgia. They might lose that, but they'd still hold the majority. But Republicans, it looks to me like got shots in Nevada, New Hampshire, Georgia, and Arizona. And that at this point, uh, I'm inclined to then agree with Doug that uh, I thought Two months ago, I would have said I thought the Democrats had a chance to stay at 50-50, maybe even pick up one. I think now it looks like it's leaning the other way. I would say if you had to put a gun to my head, I would say it looks like I had to bet. I would say probably the Republicans will take the Senate now. It, that things can change between now and then. Right. But at this point, it's looking better for Republicans than Democrats. There are not very many competitive seats. New York, Vermont, Maryland, Illinois, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, those are not going to be competitive seats. Colorado won't be either. So there's not many targets, but given the targets I just listed, it looks to me like the Republicans could have 51, maybe 52 seats. 
Well, Doug, how does the president then reinflate and reengage, re-energize his base? Because he's not going to have a legislative triumph, it seems, between now and election day at a point two. And I'm not sure if Vladimir Putin is a ticket to ride in terms of getting progressives <clears> to <throat> out in great numbers. And then there's a question where Donald Trump is going to be in this election. Maybe he gets the gift of Trump being visible, but Trump is something very visible lately. Well, at some level, losing Congress solves the problem for Biden. Uh, he no longer has to worry about uh, the left wing of the Democratic Party. It's now us versus them politics. That's right. right. Um, and so running against Congress um, is something that could be advantageous for a president because uh, Congress has difficulty enunciating a clear message. People you know, don't like seeing the sausage made. Um, I'm not... You know, the enthusiasm for Biden among Democrats is pretty limited, particularly younger Democrats, mm -hmm. um, and they need turnout of younger Democrats. Um, the, you know, there are remarkable numbers um, about the uh, same or even more Democrats think Biden shouldn't run for re-election in 2024 than Republicans think Trump shouldn't run for re-election. I, I do want for the life of me, I don't know who the Democrats would run as an alternative because there's Nobody that polls any better. But wait a second. Can you repeat that? You're saying that a larger number of Democrats think Biden should not run than a larger number of Republicans think Trump should not run. That's correct. Yeah, okay. That's correct. Go ahead, However, David. I do want to point out that uh, in 19, uh, do you remember 1994 when uh, the Republicans took over the House and the Senate together for the first time in uh, 40 years? Uh, the result was everybody was thinking the, uh, the denomination for was going to be easy because look, he's, uh, he can't possibly uh, win. Clinton is going to lose. He's going to do. There was a huge number of Republicans willing to get in, blah, blah, blah. And guess what happened? Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton won re-election and Barack Obama suffered a unbelievable beating in the 2010 elections and he won in 2012. So uh, he got beat up, then he got beat up again in 2014. Yeah, 2014. yeah, so 1995 is the classic example of how a president down at the midterms um, looks very wobbly yeah. um, and shows you the advantage of the presidency over controlling Congress. Right. Um, Newt Gingrich versus Bill Clinton was not a fair fight. Uh, Clinton ran over him. Um, and I think you're likely to see the same thing. Kevin McCarthy has no popular constituency and he's got to deal with his crazies. Uh, and uh, there are a bunch of them. So, um, and they're relatively low profile at the moment compared to if they're um, in control of Congress. That's yeah. true. But, you know, he, it, it's going to be a challenge though, to make Kevin McCarthy the same foil that Newt was because, you know, Newt was on the cover of Time magazine and it's the most powerful man in Washington. And Newt was just kind of running amok. And yeah. uh, I'm not sure McCarthy would be the same. And it does raise well, I'm a not question. sure McCarthy would also be the uh, speaker. Well, there's that, too. But it does raise a question though, of who will be a foil for Joe Biden, because you do need foils in politics. And right now he has one of Vladimir Putin and he would have one of Donald Trump if Donald Trump were campaigning full force. But if he doesn't have Trump in full force campaigning and the situation in Ukraine dies down uh, and again, it gets back to the us and them campaigning, Doug. You know, who's going to run against? I guess it's going to be just 2024. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, 2022 and 24. So I guess it's just he's going to have to single out MTG and certain aspects of the Republican existence, right? Yeah. I, I, there's a lot. It's a 
as they say, a lot of high value targets. Uh, so, David, it sounds like Doug is suggesting that that uh, what Joe Biden needs is to run against a do nothing Congress. I'm being sarcastic here because he obviously ran against <laughs> Republican Congress, but that was 1948. Dave, Dave, I don't know which campaign you were working on at the time, but I was on two of them. Now. But, I, I, you know, I think I think you guys are forgetting uh, in 2010. The Republicans did not take the United States Senate seats. They shouldn't. They should have taken the Senate, given the vote swing. And the reason they didn't was they nominated somebody in Missouri who said the women's bodies, even in the case of rape, automatically reject right. the, uh, sperm. And the second one was they ran a witch in Delaware against the most popular politician in the state because she won a primary. It's no, no, she, no, no, she, no, no, she said, Dave, I'm not a witch. Yeah, yeah, but she was a wizard in a in a group. You're in trouble when you have to. Yeah, yeah. When you say <laughs> throw your witch yeah, constituency under the bus. But but the point is that they would have won in 2010 had they nominated reasonable candidates. And I'm waiting to see what happens because the Trump factor is not just his what he does and how much he campaigns in 2010. It's how much is the effect of Donald Trump on uh, making sure that the candidates who get the nomination make sure that the major issue is the 2020 election was actually won by Donald Trump? That is still a factor that's going to make a difference in the Senate elections. That's right. That's right. All right, guys, let's start winding down the podcast here. So the question to the president seems to be stuck around 40 percent in the polls right now. What does he do to get a bump? And I'm not wishing misery upon the American people, suggesting we need to be attacked. But what can he do to juice those numbers? Does he? Not, do, well, but let me make a suggestion. Do we need to see stylistically a little different Joe Biden? Maybe be a little more forceful with the office, be a little more visible. Because, you know, one thing we have had is uh, a very stark contrast in two presidents. Now you had Donald Trump, who was overexposed, is visible every day. His own press secretary versus Joe Biden, who up to Ukraine was, you know, rarely doing press conferences and just you know, letting his press secretary do the talking, just kind of a very much behind the scenes president. So maybe he needs to be a little more forceful with the office and kind of exercise the bully pulpit a little more frequently. I don't think that it hurt, but I actually, unless there's a change in the, you can imagine a world which uh, there's a settlement in the Ukraine, whatever it looks yeah. like, the inflation goes down, the Fed starts to work, inflation goes down. Uh, but get, it, those are factors that are really in one way pretty much beyond the president's control. So the, the bottom line is I don't see his numbers going up very dramatically, but it wouldn't hurt to do exactly what you said. Take, uh, take a little, use the pulpit a little bit more, trying to make your case more. I think the thing that would help him the most was to kind of in, in so far as he can disassociate himself from the left wing of the party. Say, I'm not with them. I'm do a sister soldier moment as Bill Clinton did. Yeah. So the first thing Biden needs is a positive outcome in Ukraine. Um, so uh, the Russians being defeated there, that would definitely um, be a plus that uh, you could claim a victory. And he's had relatively few. Um, the second, and I agree with Dave on this, is they need a reset, which is uh, Biden 2.0. Um, needs to be the moderate that people thought that they voted for. Um, so far, it's amazing. They haven't really taken credit for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, and 
they should make some deal on reconciliation that will get the votes of Manchin and Cinema and pass the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't figure out what they think is going to improve by dragging this out. Okay. So you're suggesting they need to just figure their legislative strategy differently, but I'm interested in the, the legislative strategy should be something that gets passed. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Something not being passed is worse than uh, anything that gets passed. And secondly, it needs to be moderate, um, partly by necessity, because that's all they can pass. Right. Um, and if they pick up some Republican votes, uh, so much the better. Biden can claim that uh, he has managed to get uh, two big bipartisan bills passed. But right now, all people can remember is that Build Back Better never went anyplace. Um, and uh, the uh, infrastructure bill was passed, you know, over the, uh, you know, on the House side uh, with considerable Democratic opposition. I and my view, my view is that it's almost too late for a reset. The election is too close. If there's timing there, it's got to be very quick. And the Ukraine uh, being in the news at the moment, uh, I think, uh, prohibits him from doing a reset and saying, "Look, a reset too. I'm, I'm, I'm more moderate than I thought. Or I made a mistake. Whatever he wants to say, or taking on AOC and say we're not doing that." But uh, the, the longer they wait, the harder it gets for the reset because we're not that far away from the next election. And that means that it makes it harder for Republicans in the House or the Senate to compromise because the pressure on them is going to be, don't do this deal. If you do this, you're helping. <clears throat> and you may remember 1996 when Bob Dole begged the Republican leaders in Congress not to pass the welfare reform bill because he thought it hurt him in the election and they passed it. That's not going to happen. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I I think the most likely outcome is they do a 50 vote deal, but it's going to be moderate. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right. This election plays out the way you guys are suggesting. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the days afterwards. There's going to be a question, first of all, of staff who's whose heads get chopped. Does the chief of staff get fired? Does he shake up the West Wing staff? Uh, obviously, communication staff, because we always blame the communications people. We have a failure to communicate, so it's the first, first line of criticism here. I think, secondly, they have to look at how they use the president himself. You know, one of the problems here is that he is, you know, advanced in age. He sometimes comes across as a little frail. It's not a not a very confident vision of the president, so perhaps they need to put him on the road a bit more and seem a little more active, engaged, in touch with people. <clears throat> and then thirdly, I think he's going to have to hope that Republicans just kind of play into in his way. And this is, again, the Clinton lesson and that Newt Gingrich came in and Newt Gingrich was very heady. Newt Gingrich insisted on shutting down the government and you know, just very, very played very easily into the Clinton message in 1996 of, you know, can't trust Republicans, they're going to destroy your safety net. So, you know, he's going to need a little help from his friends and his enemies. And there are, and, uh, and to be fair, there are some issues, possible potential issues with the Hunter Biden stuff coming up that could, I, I don't know what's there or what's not, but that's, a, that's potentially, I, it's being played up a lot in uh, Wall Street Journal and other places, so it may have some impact. We'll just have to wait and see on that. Well, the one thing which interests me about that, Doug, get your thoughts here, and then we'll close out, is uh, this gets the idea of Republicans overplaying their hands. You've already have uh, members on the Hill talking about what they plan to investigate. Uh, 
the moment they get control of the House. Um, and they plan to go after Hunter Biden. They plan to go after the Afghanistan withdrawal. And they plan to go after all sorts of transparency issues. So maybe if you're a Democrat and you're trying to fight off the tide, this is part of what you sell to the voters. It's just going to just be just things that are not really germane to your life that Republicans waste your time with in 2023. I think they might want to reopen Benghazi. <laughs> yeah, that's not a winning strategy for Republicans. Anyone that's advising them that that's a good idea is crazy. Uh, you know, the, the winning issues for Republicans at the moment is inflation and the economy and uh, mis. You know, Afghanistan was good, but uh, a little subtlety there uh, would benefit Republicans. Uh, a House investigation of it is not going to persuade anybody of anything they don't already believe. Yeah, you may notice that we haven't had a question thus far in the program about what the effect of the House uh, work on the January 6th, right. effect of that on the election. And the reason is because none of us think it's going to have any effect unless you do, Bill. No, I, I don't. It's I think just the, the the hearings have been the whole process has been flawed. From I think the moment that um, she didn't put more Republicans in the in the committee when she shot down the Republicans, that just kind of started down a bad path here. And and again, I'd be curious if you had any polling data, Doug. But I'm just not sure how many Americans are just scarred on a daily basis by what happened on January the sixth. It doesn't register in the polls. I mean, if you specifically ask about it. Um, you know, Americans are opposed to it, uh, but Republicans are no longer heavily opposed to it. And it's in the past. Uh, you know, it's a terrible moment for American democracy, but to try to compare it to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor, I think you just, you lose people at that point. Exactly. You, you, you exactly lose them. And the original polls right after it happened within uh, two weeks showed that Donald Trump had been hurt by it. Uh, uh, you, large numbers of Republicans thought that he was possibly to blame, but over time that has gone away. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't agree with you, Bill, that there was a better way to play it, mm -hmm. that putting Jim Jordan and some people like that would have turned it into a circus. That's a good point. Um, and I think they have uh, behaved, uh, you know, there's nothing irresponsible about the investigation. It's just not gonna have any effect. I think you're right. It's just I, there seems to be just accumulation of this and Russia Gate, and just we continue relitigating the past in Washington. And I just don't think that plays a vote. Exactly. Final question for you, Doug, and we will go. Um, you're about to go back out in the field and pull again on Ukraine. Uh, have you given thought to asking questions about how Americans would define victory in Ukraine? Because victory can be Russians withdrawing completely from Ukraine. Victory could be Putin horribly bogged down and bled to death, or victory could be. Uh, a settlement with Ukrainians, victory could be Putin kicked out of office. Are you thinking in your mind how to exactly process that? I'm transcribing you and writing the question as we speak. Well, that yeah, I, I just want to say that is, the, you know, the thing I've been reading most frequently is that the Ukrainians uh, get part of the territory, so Russia has access to the sea, right. Donbass, and then the rest is Ukrainian, and, and uh, Russians withdraw based on the fact that Ukraine doesn't say NATO. So I think questions like that are, are, are would be pretty tough to get a response, uh, to get to get Americans to give a response on that would kind of be meaningful. Well, I mean, a true victory, obviously, would be the Russians <laughs> leaving with their uh, tail between their legs. Right. Um, I don't 
think that uh, that's you know Putin's mo. So more likely, um, you know, there are various speculations that the republic that the Russian military will collapse, but it seems to me more likely they will just from a distance continue pounding Ukraine and. At that point, we're faced with a really tough problem because there is not public support or real military intervention to change the situation. But yep. you have continuing bad stories day after day um, and not much that we can do about it. OK, gentlemen, I'm going to leave the podcast at that point. Thanks for coming on and I look forward to doing this again in the near future when you got some more data on this and other topics. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us. And if you would mind, spread the word. Tell your friends about us. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. Dave Brady is not on social media, but Doug Rivers is. His Twitter handle is at Doug underscore Rivers. And his fine company, YouGov, is also on Twitter at YouGov. That is spelled Y-O-U. Y-O-U-G-O-V at YouGov. I mentioned our website at the beginning of the broadcast. That's Hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Dave Brady and Doug Rivers and their Hoover colleagues to your inbox weekdays. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.